and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Michelle Stever, and I've been a school librarian for over 20 years. I'm currently working at Jamestown School Libraries. Previously, I was at a couple of different school districts in Rhode Island, so I'm rare that I move around in school districts. I'm originally from Minnesota, so if there's any Midwesterners out there, um, you can appreciate perhaps my scant accent, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Nicolette Buffoni. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the library program manager at the Office of Library and Information Services. We're the state library agency for libraries in Rhode Island. Um, and we help support public libraries through programs for access, learning for librarians, and engagement with community partners and through subgrants and granting to public libraries. And I'm also uh, one of the co-chairs of the Rhode Island Library Association Conference Committee, along with Michelle. So thank you both for joining me. We're a little bit later going to talk about conference going in general and uh, and about our upcoming Rhode Island Library Association Conference um, to kind of help a Rhode Island librarian, since we have one really soon, but also in general, any of our listeners who have any conferences or even conventions uh, that they're going to and kind of want a little reminder of how to get back in the swing of things because we've all been out of practice gathering in large groups with each other. Um, So I thought this might be a fun topic to chat about. Um, But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? I have been, especially since COVID, um, reading almost exclusively romance novels these days. I haven't been able to uh, take anything too serious. So I um, particularly right now have been making my way through the uh, Bridgerton novels by Julia Quinn. Um, After watching season two of Bridgerton, I am on the last one, uh, Gregory (laughs) Gregory Bridgerton. I don't even remember the name of any of the books because I've been reading them so fast and they go in alphabetical order by their names. So um, yeah, those are, if you like romance novels, they're Regency romances. So they're set in the early 1800s in England and um, they're kind of um, fun, lighthearted. The show actually, I think, has made the stories a lot more dramatic than the books actually are. Uh, So if you're looking for high, high drama, this is and like tons and tons of plot. That's not what the books actually are. They're kind of, there's always like a, a little bit of drama, but kind of cozy historical romances. Very lighthearted and enjoyable when you're in the middle of global crisis after global crisis. And I belong to the Young Adult Book Club that's run out of Cranston Central Library. And Alyssa runs that. So thanks to Alyssa, I have a new book every month that I'm reading. I just finished Tokyo Ever After, I had to write it down, by Amiko Jean. And if you like the Princess Diary books from a long time ago, if you want a little bit of romance, Nicolette, (laughs) this one is about a girl who finds out that her father, that she didn't know about, was like a descendant of the Emperor of Japan. So it's a fish out of water story, and she goes to Japan and 
there's romance and there's the family dynamics and it's a cultural exchange. So it's a fun book. Um, so that's fun. And before that, I read How We Fall Apart. And that's by Katie Zhao. And that's a great murder mystery. So if you like the Kate McManus um, young adult murder mystery books, it was a really good spin. And it's hard to come up with um, different story plots since everyone seemed to copy Kate McManus. And I think this author did a terrific job with it. So those are the two books I've recently finished. So right now in terms of reading, it's something that I talked about previously on the show, having been on my to-read pile, but I finally, it was on the bottom of my to-read pile and I finally made it to it, which is a um, YA novel called Kith and Kin, um, which Critical Role, the wildly popular D&D web series uh, made their first YA. They've made a lot of different graphic novels, but now they've partnered with an author to do their first um, prose YA novel. Um, and so I'm just starting to get into it. It's about two of the characters from the first campaign that they streamed uh, live um, who are twins, a, a boy and a girl. Um, and they they have slightly different skill sets. She's more of like tracking and, and, and nature. And she has a pet bear named Trinket. And her brother is more of like in a, a uh, a rogue, if you're talking like D&D terms. So, you know, sneaking in the shadows and uh, and doing petty thievery and, and such. Now they just ran into some, some trouble, some drama with the local lord. Um, and now they, uh, the brother has to do uh, a job for this thieves guild in order to keep his sister safe and keep this low-level lord off of their backs. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, I'm debating actually switching over to the audiobook because the audiobook has some of the cast members from Critical Role reprise their roles in the audiobook. And so I'm like, should I go and read the audiobook instead? Um, haven't quite decided yet, but um, but I'm enjoying it so far. I don't know how much not Critical Role fans would get out of it, but it does have a, you know, classic fantasy vibe. If you like YA fantasy, you might enjoy it, even if you don't know what happened, because it's a prequel to stuff that happened in Campaign 1. So people like fantasy might enjoy it, because you don't really need to know what happens afterwards to enjoy the prequel. That sounds fun. I will, I will write that one down. And also yours, Michelle. Yeah, Tokyo Ever After was one of the ones from uh, this past Rhode Island Teen Book Awards season that I wanted to get to, but just didn't get to. It was one of those things that it got enough readers before I got to it. So I was like, well, I got to prioritize stuff that we need to get to the amount of readers. And so I never circled back. So I'm hoping now that the reading season's over after I... I do a little bit of a palate cleanse with things that might not necessarily be Ripper related reading. I might circle back because I really loved Love Boat Taipei, which we considered last reading season, but it didn't make it onto our list. Um, and the kind of like fish out of water cultural exchange stuff seems like really similar vibes to that book. Yes, it, it's good. Um, and I listened to it on audio, but... 
I will say there are a few parts. I, I'm, I think as I get older, I can't deal with the dramatic suspense as much as I used to really love it. And when you, when I was reading the audio, I knew something bad was going to happen and it's not a spoiler, but I couldn't shut off my car, the audio, because then my phone started playing it. So I shut off the, the car because I didn't want to know. And then my car, my, then my phone was playing it. And then I found out and I was like, then I started yelling, so I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> it was not what I wanted. But besides reading, have either of you been watching or listening to anything interesting? I just watched twice the entire series, Our Flag Means Death, uh, which is on HBO uh, Max, if you have it. It's um, a historical pirate show, but a comedy. Um, it was so charming and so delightful that was kind of unexpected i didn't know anything about it except that it was created by um Teiko Waititi, who you know directed for ragnarok and he made what we do in the shadows and so i thought i should watch that and i immediately became obsessed with it it's 10 episodes long and as soon as it was over i was like i need to watch this again um and then i realized i had never watched the show what we do in the shadows um, which I just finished yesterday. So I'm like extremely sad that it's over, but that is also, you know, a silly, extremely funny show about a group of vampires living in Staten Island from different parts of time and places around the world. So you have um, Nandor the Relentless, who's sort of a Middle Eastern uh, conqueror. And then you have uh, Nadja, who is from a small village in Greece and a British vampire and, an energy vampire who just doesn't suck people's blood, but sucks their energy. You've probably met somebody like him. It's just extremely funny. Both shows, just a lot of heart for how silly they are. And um, yeah, I'm, we won't stop talking about either one of them to anybody who will listen to me. So thank, thank you for giving me a place to talk about them. I know Our Flag Means Death has been on my watch list and I've gone back and forth about watching What to Do in the Shadows because like I, it's grown on me the more I've rewatched it, but I didn't really love Thor Ragnarok, which I know is like an unpopular opinion. I know most people loved it and loved like a break from the very like serious, dark, theatrical Thor that we were getting. But I was like, no, I want Shakespearean drama Thor back. <laughs> so yeah, it's very hit or miss with Taika Waititi's stuff for me personally, whether I'm going to like it. But I've I've only heard good things about Our Flag Means Death. Everyone on Twitter is raving about the gay pirate show. So well, I was going to say, it's very gay if you like <laughs> gay stuff, which I do. So I was like, this is... It's just everything you could want in the show. It's funny. It's sweet. It's short. You know, the episodes are only a half hour. It's oh, going to take a huge <laughs> amount of your life to get through a season, which is important to me, given my capacity for, for new content right now. I'm like, the shorter, the better. Thank you. So July 8th, mark your calendar, because you're both going to want to see Thor, Love and Thunder, <laughs> yes. because we went to see the multiverse yesterday. Mother's Day gift for me, which was terrific with my family. No spoilers. I'm not going to, no, okay. not going to say anything, <laughs> but the trailer before the movie starts is for Thor, the new Thor that's coming out. And it just looks awesome. 
Now, I, if you like the Shakespearean Thor, you're not going to like this. This is modern. Like, he is almost grooving to Guns N' Roses. It's great. I love this Thor. <laughs> so it was terrific. Just the trailer itself. And it's got your guy in it, Nicolette. So Tyka's in it doing a role, mm -hmm. doing a voice. So I'm very excited about that. So we saw the multiverse yesterday. So a lot of it was me trying to catch up with what I had forgotten about the other universes and the other people that my children seem to have memorized and can recite, although they don't know much about their academic work, of course, but they know everything about the multiverse <laughs> and can talk for a very long time about how this didn't match up with this other part. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't even remember the movie I watched last week, <laughs> but that's okay. It was, it was very good. Um, there is a bit of a nod to the Evil Dead franchise, which you have to expect because of the director. It was Sam Remy. I think I'm saying it right. He directed this multiverse. And so if you know anything about him, he did the Evil Dead franchise. So there is a nice little nod to that, which my husband and I appreciated because we've seen the Evil Dead. And so hopefully it will interest our children in watching that. It's kind of nice. Bridging the generations, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I was just, when you were saying about how much your kids were into Marvel and, and the multiverse and everything, it was like, well, happy Mother's Day to you that your kids took to you to saw a movie that they wanted to see. It's okay. Yeah, I did not want to see bad guys. That's fair. No shade to that movie. If it's a fun kids movie, it just doesn't look like it's in my lane. I think it will be great for younger children yeah. and their families, but definitely something I would have watched 10 years ago, not needed to watch now. <laughs> um, so what I've been watching recently and the closest that I will get to a binge as an adult with a limited amount of time in the evening, you know, who has to go to bed at a reasonable time so they can wake up and go to their job, which is basically watching like a couple episodes every night, multiple nights in a row. Um, is I've been watching Sense8, which is kind of old now. First season came out in 2015. It's directed by the people who did The Matrix. Um, oh, the Wachowski? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I never remember that. Wachowski, yeah. But so got, got to see like their hand at a show, which is very much as like convoluted and complicated as The Matrix. The premise of the show is these eight people from all around the world who were all born on at the exact same time, the same day and the same time in their various time zones around the world um, are something that they call sensates, which basically they're like human plus almost. They, they talk about it as them being like the next evolution in our species throughout the show. And so they are all mentally connected to each other in the beginning it was all by accident but now that i've made it through the show and they've got better at, at dealing with their their gifts or their powers whatever you want to call it they can visit through the other people's minds and see uh, where they are across the world and they can even share with in their 
these eight people, they call it their cluster. Within their cluster, they can share some of their abilities. So they're like, people who know how to break out of handcuffs. They will like take over that person's body for a minute and like break them out of the handcuffs so then they can like go and do whatever. Or fight. It was a major thing of some of the characters know how to fight from martial art trainings or law law enforcement training. And they would help other characters by like taking over so that they could fight and get out of whatever bad situation that they were in. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, also very queer, I would say just in general. And they cast a trans actress to play a trans woman. So we always love to see that, especially like five plus years ago. I think that was very much ahead of the curve for then. Um, and yeah, so I've been enjoying it a lot. I Every time the episodes end, I want to know what's going to happen. And um, just because I was busy over the weekend, I like had to take a break between seasons. And I was just like, oh, my God, the ending of season one. What are they doing now? How are they how are they dealing with all of these loose ends? So um, I it is very much lots of adult themes and uh, lots of mentions and some multiple depictions of suicide. So if that is something that will bother you, please keep yourself safe. Um, but if none of those triggers uh, and some gratuitous sex doesn't bother you, go check it out because uh, it's been... <laughs> It's been a good time and it's been keeping me on the the edge of my seat uh, the whole time watching. It was also something that I felt like I, I tried to watch it before, but for whatever reason, couldn't get into it. And I felt like as a queer person, I like needed to watch it. It was one of those that was worth <laughs> going back and watching despite being five plus years old now. Um, not to, I mean, not to go on forever, but speaking of queer media, I did also recently watch Heartstopper on Netflix. So Heartstopper is based on a graphic novel series, uh, also called Heartstopper. It's set in England, and it follows um, an out gay teen at an all-boys school, and he develops a, a friendship and crush on a boy who's a rugby player, and it's about their relationship, and they have, um, there's just great queer representation. There are lesbian characters, there's a trans a uh, girl who has left the all-boys school to attend the all-girls school, um, and they're all friends, and it's just um, just heartwarming and charming and very affirming, very sweet story for young um, for young people to, to watch. Olivia Coleman, the brilliant actress, is also in it. She plays one of the characters' mothers, and she's phenomenal in everything she does. She's not in it much, but she's great to see. So I highly recommend that one as well on Heartstopper, which is while well, we're throwing out um, yeah, queer media that we've been consuming lately. I was going to say, I want to give one more shout out, but this mm-hmm. is about nothing. Um, this is completely off, but my daughter found it on Netflix last night and we watched it and it's called Fantastic Fungi. And it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix all about the medicinal properties of mushrooms and how Mushrooms are making a comeback with medicine, but also in different ways. They're using them in the environment to filter air, to filter pollutants. It's extremely amazing because it's not just these, you know, hallucinogens or like things that you think about shrooms from the 70s, that they're using it to treat anxiety and depression 
And they can do all of this with three pills versus Prozac that takes, you have to continue to be on. It's just amazing that they're using it for that. And then also talking about it as filters for the ocean water. Like the fact that they're using mushrooms in all these different ways, it's it's worth your time. It sounds really odd, <laughs> but it's um, one of those things that you wish that we maybe paid more attention to. So I just want to throw that out there for anyone interested in the environment, but also the medicinal properties. And if you're into something nonfiction, I guess, try it. Yeah, that does sound interesting. I, I had read online before stuff about where there's polluted ground soil or whatever, that they will suck all of that up. And then in the context of that post, they were like, haha, then you have poisoned mushrooms and no one knows. I'll probably watch that tonight, Michelle. That sounds so <laughs> interesting. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find a link to sign into Canopy today. Cranston Public Library is pleased to bring poetry to our patrons all without leaving the comfort of home. No internet, computer, or smartphone required. A recorded poem read by a CPL staff member will be available every Tuesday afternoon. To listen, call 401-900-1090 and be sure to check back weekly to hear what's new. For more information about this service, please visit cranstonlibrary.org slash on the line. So without further ado, I want us to talk about conference going, convention going, gathering in large groups over a specific subject to learn and enrich ourselves. So I guess to start off, um, if you both could talk a little bit about what you like about going to conferences and maybe if that's the reason that you got involved in planning a conference. Sure, I can I can start. I like going to conferences a lot. I think it's really valuable for me as a professional person to get out of my um, of the day to day, you know, grind of what you do. Where sometimes you get into a zone or a funk or stuck in a day to day grind uh, of work and get focused on the things that I'm working on, which is great, but also it's wonderful to have the opportunity to get infused with new ideas and um, see people who have, you know, tried new things or have expertise that you don't have. And there's something really, for me, fun and exciting about doing it with a big group of people and in a highly concentrated, you know, like two days, super intense. And I know that's what some people don't like about conferences. They find it uh, can be a little overwhelming. But for me, I really like that energy. I like completely breaking kind of from my daily life and stepping into, um, you know, 
two or three days of just pure learning where I don't have to check my email if I don't want to. And I can just focus on new ideas and um, meeting people. There is also the networking component, but I'm much more interested for me personally in, in learning other people's ideas and seeing what is happening, you know, specifically for us in the field of libraries. But I like that environment of sort of jam-packed, intense learning. And I agree. Sometimes it's nice to see other people, what they're doing, even if you have no intention of doing that thing at your mm-hmm. library. Just, I don't know, just hearing about new ideas, I don't know, at least makes me kind of feel invigorated when I go back to my library of like, wow, all these all these cool things that people are doing in the, in the realm of libraries. Right. You said, Taylor, there are things that you have no intention of ever doing. But they like spark connections or new ideas with things that you are doing or that you can do. So you may attend, you know, an hour long session and 90 percent of it is not necessarily something that you can adopt. But you might leave with one really good idea that um, isn't exactly what they were talking about, but that you've been reminded of. And I think that's a really great experience. Well, and like what you said about not being able to or not interested, but when I attend conferences, every workshop I go to, I try to think, what what's one thing that I learned from this person? And if it's not necessarily the content, did I le- learn something from the way they delivered it? Did I like how they engaged the audience? So I try to think about it as a whole experience that it might not always just be the content, but did I like maybe the platform they used or was there something about the technology? Um, so I try to think about it in different ways as well. But my personal experience, I, I attended, it's MassQ, it's Massachusetts Computer User, or Using Educators, about five years ago. And I sat in a podcasting workshop. And two years later, at the time where I was working, I didn't have a, a, an option to do a podcasting studio. But two years later, I was able to write a grant when I was working in East Greenwich High School because of that idea. So it stayed in my head and I still had that information and I went back through my files, my Google Docs and everything. And I had the contact of that teacher who presented and I had contacted him and reached out to him because the other thing about conferences is people who are willing to present are those people who are willing to share their information. And if if you can still track them down, I find that those are the people who are willing to give you their time and to offer that support and guidance. And that's the other aspect of attending a conference that's so powerful is that you might not get to talk with the presenter. There might not be enough time. Your session ends and you've got 10 minutes to get to the next one, but you have their contact information. So if it's not there, reaching out to them right after the workshop, you know, months or in my case, years later, I contacted that person. And they were still willing um, to help me and to give them. And in my case, for the podcasting, that presenter said, and here's the equipment I'm using now. You know, so things had changed for him. And he gave me a whole list of new equipment that he said, try this. So I think it's those connections, not only the networking with the people who are attending the sessions, but having those resources of people who are presenting the information, being available to you, not only during the conference, but after. So I guess it's really like the networking aspect appeals to you, Michelle, not even just networking with colleagues and other people like attending different sessions, but like networking and making connections with 
presenters by attending. Yes. I think the other difference for school librarians, as I'm a school librarian and you both are in the more of the public realm, is that I'm by myself within my school. There's only one of me. So there's not someone else I can go bounce an idea off of. I might be able to talk to a teacher, and but the teacher has a very different perspective about what she's, her objectives and how she's managing her class than what I'm trying to get across through information literacy curriculum and my goals. So without being able to leave my classroom or without professional development, um, I have to seek out those experiences elsewhere and get that information. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep plodding along, doing the same thing I've always done. And that's not acceptable to me. So for me, attending a conference is giving me back that energy that I need to do my job really well. And I need, just for my personal um, sense, I think, to feel good about my own job and who I am. So going going back to kind of the second part of my question, what made you both want to to plan a conference and get involved um, in the planning of the conference? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question, right? Because now that we're three weeks away from the conference, it's like, what did make me want to <laughs> do this? This was a terrible idea. Um, uh, no, for me, I love programming things and I like having some control over or input into the vision of what the vibe is for the conference, what, what the theme is, what the materials look like. I just enjoy helping put together um, an experience that is easy uh, uh, for the user so that they can show up and it's smooth, but then also rewarding in terms of, of what the content is and, and how it all goes. I don't know if I'm saying that very well. It's just event planning um, especially for me, the, the content side of it, um, the programming side of it, less the, the detail side of it. But um, it's really nice at the end of the day to have people say, like, this was a really good experience. I got to leave my job for a day and come here. Um, and you made it go smoothly. You made sure that, like, I could find where I was going. And, you know, I have attended events where things were not run so smoothly or the content was not so good. And so it is nice you know, to be able to um, bring, I also have a certain level of expertise of, from doing that in my in my regular job at um, the Office of Library and Information Services. So to be able to bring that back to my community and and do do something that I already am doing um, on a bigger scale, I think was really nice for me. And Nicolette is really good at it because she's, you are, you're very good because you take topics and you connect them with other people that you've heard about or like you're really good at um, making that all align. And I think it's easy to forget that that's a real skill um, because not a lot of people have that. So I want to give you a compliment. You're very good Thank at you, it. Thank you, Michelle. And I got involved because Nic Nicolette asked me to. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, Michelle, if we're giving out compliments, Michelle is, you're fantastic at, again, like the things that I'm not always the best at, like the details and the like, what are our action items and what are our to do's. And those are the things that I kind of always end up, I'm like, oh, right. We need to actually to do some things instead of just thinking about the ideas. And so that's been really great to have you as a foil, but also um, you're so like, it's great to have someone to work with who's super practical and 
um, when um, ideas get really grandiose, which they will, especially if you're with a committee and people have great ideas and they're exciting and they're fun, but also like, what's your budget and what's the time frame and what's your capacity in an all volunteer committee. Um, and so Michelle has brought a great sense of uh, realism uh, to the committee, uh, which has been really, really, really helpful. And I think and to the event. Yeah, well, and I think the two of us got involved because, yeah, I, I think as we're noticing just across all different realms of our lives is that there's fewer and fewer volunteers and we need people to step up. And if we want our library and community to have these enriching opportunities for professional development, people have to step up. That's very true. So what are each of your top three tips for great conference experiences? Okay. Uh, top three. Uh, that's, I can do top three. So I would definitely say for me, number one is comfort, which could probably be parsed into like five separate things, but it's really important before you go to any kind of conference, like a convention as well, but, um, or a professional conference is to find out if there's food and if there's not food, is there food nearby that you can purchase? And if there's not food nearby that you can purchase, um, what food do you need to bring with you? Um, and even if you think there's going to be food, bring granola bars or um, something like that. Because if you're like me, um, you'll get hungry and then you'll get angry and the learning won't be as good and you won't have as much fun. Also, if there is food nearby, I learned this one recently. Now that we live post-COVID, you can do mobile ordering. So if there's like a Starbucks next to your conference venue, mobile order. Um, I attended a public library conference in Portland, Oregon, and I went to the Starbucks and there was a line of librarians about 50 people deep. And I did feel bad, but I got to walk right by them and just get my order and leave because I had placed it in the convention center before I walked the 10 minutes to the Starbucks. So that's a hot tip. Um, I guess I'll just flip my comfort. My next comfort would be, you know, your outfit, keeping with um, comfortable shoes, it's fun, you know, you're in a professional space, so you want to look maybe professional, but also um, if it's a professional kind of conference. But if you dress up too much, for me personally, I'm not going to be comfortable that way all day. Light layers in case it's warm. You have long hair, have a, have a putting your hair up plan. That's always very important for me because I get very warm in spaces. You're going to walk a lot, so you don't want to be wearing like heels. So I think that's number two. And then my third tip good conference going experiences and it's going to be kind of completely separate um, from this which is especially if it's a professional conference and sort of going along the lines of what Michelle was saying consider putting in proposals and actually being an active participant in the conference I think a lot of people think about themselves and their professional work I know in some fields it might be different but in education and library fields it's all very much based on you know what you're doing people want to hear what you're doing and there's all you're almost certainly doing something interesting and meaningful and worth sharing. And if you don't think you have enough, you know, mileage to go on your own, find a group of like-minded people and do a panel or put something together. It's really great. Like conferences are made great by the people who presented them. And so if you are really wanting to get a lot out of a conference, getting up and sharing your ideas is a great way to be a part of that and to get a lot out of it in a, a completely different way than if you're just attending it. So those are my three. 
And I would say my three tips, you stole my comfort, Nicolette. Huge. It's huge. It is. And I tend to always bring a sweater because sometimes in those rooms, it can be frigid. So I like to dress in layers. As my mother used to say, always bring more. Take layers off. Um, So I would say, I, I would repeat what Nicolette said about comfort. Um, I would say come prepared. I always try, I always try, I always preview the conference schedule so that I know at least the first few sessions in the morning, am I getting breakfast right away? Like what happens after I register? So I know so that when I get there, I'm not panicked and thinking or late to a session because I, I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful to the person presenting by coming in late, but I also don't want to miss the information that's given. So I like to have a plan for the day. So I like to have which sessions I'm going to and then a backup for each one of those time zones. I mean, time periods in case the room is full or if it's also not something that I might have thought it was and then it's not. So I like to be able to um, have a plan so I'm not constantly... um, you know, pulling out the schedule or wondering where I should be. Um, Along with that, my last tip would be make sure you know where you're going to park and how long it might take you to get there. Because that also induces panic for me (laughs) that I hate being late. And if I'm driving somewhere and then now I can't find parking where I thought it was supposed to be, then that just makes me really hot and then I get stressed and... Then you have to take your layers off. It's a whole... Before you even got in, it's a whole thing. Yes. <laughs> so for me, it's always... It's knowing how long it's going to take me to get there and giving me some wiggle room. Now, I have friends who are very comfortable walking in right as everything starts. But it is... I think... I guess it goes back to knowing yourself. And if you're one of those people that that doesn't work well and is going to ruin the rest of your day, come early. <laughs> Um, just to quickly kind of add to um, Michelle's point about planning, I would also recommend, and I, this is my experience from professional conferences and from going to conventions, is try not to plan or schedule yourself too much. Like, think about some times that you may have some downtime to just take a break, to grab some food if you're hungry, to maybe just like, you know, chat with people and network. Um, I know my my like Comic-Con and other fan convention going has been so much better since I've been like, you can't see everything. There are going to be things that you're going to miss, but you know, there's always next year and more things to see every time, but you're going to have a way better experience if you aren't super stressed (laughs) about running from this thing to that thing. Yeah, I think that's great advice, especially going through previewing what's coming up in the the conference or the convention and choosing like your must attends. Like I refuse to miss this session, but that may mean that I can't do something on either side of it or something that overlaps with it. And um, it's like (laughs) recently took a vacation to Disney World and it was like, you literally cannot do this entire thing in the amount of time. So you, you set which ones? you would be devastated to miss and then you go to those and you everything else is a bonus so think about it that way once you hit your must sees you're like well everything else i get to see is just enrichment at that point 
Definitely. So Goose, we're getting uh, a little low on time. Our last chapter segment, which we do every week where we talk about a library or bookish related question, I decided will be a speed round of what is the favorite conference slash convention that you ever attended? Um, I have a ready answer for that. And I don't remember what year it was. Sometime in the last, it was certainly pre-COVID. I went to um, NerdCon, Nerdfighteria, which was not a professional conference. It was a convention. So this is um, uh, John Green and Hank Green, who are brothers. They have um, an online community called Nerdfighteria, and they put on various conferences. And so they had in Boston, uh, NerdCon, Nerdfighteria. It was just a day filled with uh, sessions about Harry Potter and being a nerd. And, you know, there was music. There was a live taping of their podcast. It was two days. It was just like nerdy, affirming, beautiful fun from from start to finish. I would go again if they ever hold it again. I don't know if it was a one-off thing. (laughs) It was great. Well, if they do hold it again, you have to let me know. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It was. (laughs) What about you, Michelle? Now I just sound like a professional nerd, but my favorite was the American Association of School Librarians when they had it in Hartford. It was the closest one I think I would ever get to go to. And it was, I think it was like four days of being surrounded by other school librarians. I'd never felt so valued and affirmed. And I got to meet authors and get things signed. And I bought book t-shirts. I mean, (laughs) only librarians would be that excited. But Um, I can see this in this community that you would also feel that type of excitement. It was fun. Yeah. So like professional wise, getting a chance to go to ALA in 2019 was really great. And I, and I hope to someday feel comfortable to go again uh, because it was to go to kind of a real big um, conference was great. So thank you both for joining us. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to tell us what your favorite conference slash convention that you ever attended, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can now reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. that wouldn't necessarily be RILA really of RILA. They have too many acronyms. A palate cleanse with things.